Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Well, I heard that some of you couldn't see me back there. Martin? Got the thumbs up from Martin. I'm good. Well, what if the opportunity is bigger than you can imagine? What if the vision is greater than you would have dreamed? What if the opportunity is so big that you didn't actually feel you had what it took to see it through? Maybe you're a new carpenter, and you've been asked to build something that's just incredible. But you know, you ain't got what it takes. And yet, there's something about it that just draws you in. Maybe you're suddenly pregnant. And you know you ain't ready. Maybe you've been invited to speak uh, to a group of youth about your faith. Or maybe about your marriage. And you don't feel you have what it takes. Or perhaps you've been given a sudden opportunity to help a family in need. And you're not sure you know what to do. Sometimes the opportunities outstrip the resources. I think that's true of us personally. I think we can all think of times when we knew, wow, this is incredible, and yet, wow, I don't know if I can do this. But I also think it's true of us as a church. Because here's the truth. God has given us an incredible opportunity as the Erickson Covenant Church to help the people of our valley find and follow Jesus. And what we do with this opportunity affects the destinies of real people, men and women and children, real people, both now, today, this week, next week, next month, next year, but also into the future. And Jesus has commissioned us as his people to help these men and these women and these children, these families, these people of this valley, caught between the Selkirks and the Purcells, this valley, helping them find and follow Jesus, which will change their life forever. It's a huge opportunity. And it's bigger, I think, than we can imagine. So let me ask you this question. What would hold us back as a church from really helping people do that? What would stop us from being the greatest witnesses we can be? What would, what would, what would hold us back from being the most loving community that we can What would stop us as the church from growing in the ways, all the ways that God wants us to grow? I'm willing to bet that at least part of the answer is that uh, we don't think we have what it takes. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We don't have the space. Look around. We don't have the gifts. We don't have the time. We don't have the leadership. We don't have what other churches have. Or at least we don't have what those big churches have. Right? Here we are in this little valley, this backwater orchard, 
that no one knows about. We do realize that, right? No one else knows we exist. Worldwide, at least. We're simple folks. Some of us moved here to, to live a more simple life. Some of us stayed here and we don't know any different, but the reality is we're simple folk. We feel weak, we feel confused, we don't feel strong in all the ways that we think we would need to feel in order to actually be the kind of church that would reach the people of this valley. I mean, it's like, Jesus, I know you love the people on my street. I know you want them to come to know your love. I know you died for the whole world, which includes the irritating kid in my class, the ignorant boss at work, as well as my friends and my family and my neighbors. And Jesus, you might want every family and every person of the Crescent Valley to know your truth and grace, but I mean, what can we do? Have you seen us? <laughs> have, you, have you seen, Jesus, what you're working with here? Take a look around. Because I think, Jesus, if you knew how weak we were, how paltry our resources, how shaky our faith, how insignificant our influence, you would move on to some other church. You'd say to the Erickson Covenant Church, Okay, you guys, just sort of, you know, make do. Kind of keep together. Do your best, but I'm going to go off and find another group who seems far more capable than you lot. That's kind of what we think Jesus would say, right? Jesus, if you really knew what was in here, if you really knew what was in here, you'd realize you're asking too much. You ever feel like that? Well, when we begin to get a vision, Jesus' vision for our world, when we begin to see what Jesus sees and what he plans for our town, for our valley, for our schools and our farms and our coffee shops, we can immediately feel like he's asking too much. I think we can actually be overwhelmed by the vision that Jesus has for people's lives. We can be overcome with the magnitude of Jesus' desire to see every woman, not just some, every man, every kid, transformed by his love. And we can feel that this opportunity far outstrips our resources. Today, Jesus answers our inadequacy. He does it in the sixth message, sixth of seven messages here at the start of this long letter of Revelation. We're kind of in this, just coming to the end of this section where um, Jesus, at the start of Revelation, he penned seven personal messages to each of the churches who were scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey, and they were going to be receiving this big, long letter of Revelation, and at the start of the letter, he pens some personal messages to each of the churches. And he identified in each church a challenges, a word of encouragement, a, a correction, different things. And we've been walking through them. Here we're on the sixth one. And as we've been going through, we've been challenged by each one of them. We've been encouraged. We've been overturned, I think, surprised and even shocked by the bold love that Jesus has for his church. And i got to tell you, as I have prayed and prayed and meditated and chewed, and, and, and thought about and studied these messages of Jesus, particularly these seven, I wondered if there was going to be a particular message out of these seven that would be most directly applicable to our church. Now, don't get me wrong, I didn't think there had to be, because they're all applicable. 
And as you, if you've traveled at all with this series, you know that these messages have been super challenging to us. And, and, and they, they apply across the board in so many ways, and we've heard Jesus speak. So there didn't have to be one. But I wonder if there was one. And I, I think this is it. I think the message of Jesus to the Philadelphian church, that's the sixth message, is the message to the Erickson Covenant Church. Out of all the seven that Jesus wants us to hear, he wants us most clearly to hear this message. It's the one I believe that applies most directly to us in our situation. It's the word of Jesus to us. By way of the Holy Spirit, by way of John, by way of this amazing letter, by way of the Philadelphian church. And he's speaking to us today. And so I just want to pray as we get into the revelation. Jesus, I ask that you would speak today your word and that we would hear you and what your spirit is saying to us, your church. Wherever we're at today, whether we're in a place where we're we're not even sure about you and we're just trying to explore what that means, whether we've followed you for a long time, wherever we're at today, Lord Jesus, I ask that we would hear your message speaking to us. Amen. So what is this message? You're going to find it on an insert in your bulletin, Revelation 3, or there's a variety of pew Bibles, a few different translations, and hey, you can pull out your smartphone and look on it there too. Or borrow off a neighbor. There you go. Here it is. Revelation 3, 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens... No one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus comes to this weak, insignificant little church, a church that is fully aware of what they lack, fully aware of their little strength. And he reveals a powerful vision for them. What Jesus does is he pulls back the curtain. We've been talking about this all through this series, right? The meaning of the word apocalypse is revelation, and it's an image of pulling back the curtain. It's not some negative thing. It's a beautiful, positive thing. And as Jesus pulls back the curtain, he reveals to each church that he is present. But he also reveals to them something about themselves and about their situation. As he pulls back the curtain, he helps them reinterpret and re-envision what is actually going on. And Jesus here pulls back the curtain on this weak, insignificant little church. And what do we see? We see an open door. And Jesus wants them to see this. Well, Let's listen, first of all, to who is speaking. Let's, let's take this apart a little bit. Let's walk through it. Jesus, the one who is the holy and the true. I, I say it that way because more accurately translated is probably their titles. These are titles that were used for Yahweh, Lord God, in the Old Testament, but particularly in the prophet Isaiah. And it underscores here that Jesus we're listening to is the Son of God. And he's speaking the Word of God. Jesus is the Holy. He's utterly pure. He's completely whole. He's completely real. 
He's also the true. He's trustworthy and loyal. There's no shadow side to this Jesus. There's no hidden agenda. There's no double talk. As he speaks to us, we hear the truth. He's the holy and the true. Well, this one who is the holy and the true, he's holding a set of keys. Now, if we've been traveling through Revelation, we already saw a set of keys, didn't we? We saw back in chapter 1, in the big vision, that Jesus was holding the keys to death and Hades. And here Jesus takes that image that he already introduced to us and he mashes it together with yet another Isaiah story about an ancient leader named Eliakim. Not many of us have heard of him. He hasn't made it into the baby names book yet too much either. But this Eliakim, in this story, Eliakim is given the keys to David's kingdom. And he's told that whatever door he opens, no one can shut it. Well, the image from Isaiah of this keeper of the keys is something that Jesus snatches up and he uses. He's the one with the keys. Yes to death in Hades. And he's already flung open that door through his death and his resurrection. Dealt with. But now we see Jesus holding the very keys of the kingdom of God in Philadelphia. See what Jesus is saying here? Jesus, the very holy the completely true, the keeper of the keys, in an act of highest authority, has opened a door that no one can shut. And he placed that open door in front of this weak church. Was the church ready for this? You know? Were they prepared? Were they feeling well-resourced? Did they kind of swagger over to the door and go, yeah, Jesus, you chose the right church, man. We are ready for this. We're strong. We got everything. You know, just step aside, Jesus. We'll take care of this. Is that what they said? No. That is not what they said. That is not how they felt. Jesus knows this church. And what does he know? He says, I know you have a little strength. You know what? He doesn't say, I know you think you have a little strength. He says, I know you've got little strength. I know you're weak. I know you don't, you know, you're not really able I know you feel overwhelmed and confused. I know you're trembling under the weight of persecution. I know it. But you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Even though there were plenty of chances for you to cave in and retreat and pull back, you haven't. This church had stood for Jesus even when they felt too weak to stand. And this faithful church, wow, faithful to Jesus in their circumstances, all Jesus needs to work with. Don't we feel like these Philadelphians sometimes... Jesus has pulled back the curtain and he's opened the door of opportunity for us. The image of the open door is is actually significant, particularly through the New Testament, where it represents the opportunity to share the grace and love of Jesus with someone else or with some new community or in some new place or some new culture. That's why I had Angelie read from Colossians 4, because in that passage we hear Paul talk about this open door that's, that's been made available to him. Even though he's being opposed, it's there. It's the door of mission. It's the door of witness. It's the door of kingdom opportunity. It's the door that stands open so the people of God can walk through it courageously so that others can find and follow Jesus. So what's the deal with this door? I mean, what is it really? What does it represent? I want you to hear this clearly. This open door represents changed lives. It represents men coming into God's true purpose for them 
and then living out the grace of God in their families, in their marriages, in their workplace, in their neighborhoods. This open door represents women coming to understand how loved they are by Jesus, coming to understand their true security in God, and having that utterly change the way they see and relate to everything else. This open door represents kids. Coming to know that God loves them because God created them for a purpose. Regardless of what family they were raised in. Regardless of what they've been told. It's it's kids coming to know that they're valued and precious. That God looks at them. They might be five years old. They might be 15 years old. And he says, I loved you. I bought you. I have a purpose for your life. That's what this open door represents. This open door also represents new areas of ministry. Brand new relationships being born. It represents God's kingdom breaking into new spaces. Into cultures. Into a new new, uh, coffee shop. It represents God's grace breaking into a a whole new area. where, Where maybe previously there wasn't a lot of witness present. That's what this open door represents. This open door that Jesus places in front of us is nothing less than Jesus' vision to see every man and every woman and every child transformed by His grace and His love. And it's the door that Jesus calls us to walk through for the sake of the world He loves. And it's wide open. He's got the keys, right? When He opens a door, how many people can shut it? No one can shut it. No one can shut it. And Jesus is saying, I've opened the door and it's there for us. But it can feel like a big door, can't it? I realize that orange door over there might not look very big. But the door of opportunity that Jesus gives us is a big door. What will, ha- what will happen beyond the door? We don't really know exactly. I mean, we know it represents changed lives, but we don't exactly know what that'll look like. What will happen to us if we step through it? Will it do any good? I mean, will there actually be any results from it? Will we be safe? Will we be okay? Will our church change? Will I change? What will happen beyond the door? If if the door is open, does that mean I actually have to move from where I'm standing? Does it mean I have to change the way I'm serving? Does it mean I have to change the ways I'm living? Does it mean I have to actually change the way I'm witnessing individually? Does it change the way we witness as a church? Will moving through that door affect my priorities? Will it affect my finances? Will moving through that door affect my habits? My relationships? What does this all mean? When we see the door open, we immediately remember how weak we are. As the Erickson Covenant Church, I know that as we stand in front of the door that Jesus has placed in front of us, we don't feel like we have the resources. We don't. We don't feel like we can really do what Jesus is asking us to do. And I think as a church, we are tempted to muster up some compelling reasons why Jesus has placed in front of us an opportunity that so far exceeds our resources that really, He must have got His wires crossed. And yet, there He is, Jesus standing, opening the door, rattling the keys for you and I to walk through. Now, when we stand on the threshold of the door, 
this open door. I think all kinds of questions surface. What, you know, what assurances do we have, Jesus? What, what kind of promises are you going to give us as we walk through the door? I mean, if we step through this door of opportunity, if we actually embrace your vision for us and for the, for the, the people in our valley and the, the people of this world, what's going to happen? Jesus knows we have those questions, and I believe he responds to them. When we stand in front of this open door, and we hear the big ask that Jesus is making, I think our questions tend to fall into at least two categories. First, we ask a question of faith. Will our witness be effective? In other words, okay, Jesus, if we walk through that door, if I walk through that door, if if we walk through that door as a church, will it actually do any good? Will it make a difference? And the second is a question of faithfulness. Uh, Well, Jesus, are you going to keep us safe through this? I mean, what if we suffer for what we do? What, what if we suffer for our faithfulness? What if walking through that door means the death of a few things in my life, in our life, in our community? Will we be safe? Jesus knows our fears, and I believe he answers both of these questions in turn right here in this message. First, Jesus answers our question of faith. Will our witness be effective? To answer this question, Jesus actually takes the most potent enemy of this church, of the Philadelphian church, In this case, it was a local synagogue, which is just a word for assembly of Jews who had been overtly persecuting this church, which would have been an ethnic mix of Jews and Gentiles. And what does Jesus promise? He promises that as they are walking through the open door of faithful witness, as they are being who he's called them to be, even their enemies will come through the door and enter the kingdom of God. Listen to this in verse 9. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Jesus draws from a few more places in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is a real big background text for this message today. Where the image originally used was of Gentiles coming to God's people, the Jews, and bowing down to acknowledge them as God's people, but to worship Yahweh. Jesus takes this promise and in ironic reversal, he flips it around so that now the Jews are coming to the church, which is both Jew and Gentile, and they're bowing down to worship Jesus as Lord. If you dig into this, you realize the image here is not an image of subjugation, you know, foot on the throat. That's not what's going on here. It's an image or a promise of conversion, that they're coming to worship the true God. Will their witness be effective? Will passing through the door of opportunity and becoming the witnessing community of Jesus actually make a difference? Jesus says to this community, you have no idea what I'm going to do with you guys. Even your enemies, the people that were most unlikely to succeed, respond, will come to know me as their king and their savior. Makes sense, right? Jesus, who died for us while we were still his enemies, promises that his people, as they lay down their lives in witness, will see their very enemies become brothers and sisters in Christ. You might have more of an opportunity to dig into this in your connect groups this week. A question of faith as the Erickson Covenant Church is, will our witness be effective? 
we stand before this open door, will our faithful step through the door as a community, as a church, actually make a difference in people's lives in this valley? Jesus says to us, hear this. He says, wait till you see what I have planned to do through you. It's going to blow you away. The last people you would have dreamed would ever come to me are going to join you as you worship together in my community. You know that guy that you had written off? Him. That guy. The guy you said, not a chance will that guy ever come to know Jesus. In fact, I don't even, I don't even pray for that guy. He is a lost cause. Jesus is saying, guess what? You wait to see what I'll do through you. You wait to see what I'm going to do in the lives of people that you had written off, that you had thought were the least likely to come to know me. You wait and see what I'm going to do in her life. The people that we said, no way, the kids at school who mocked and teased you, that most difficult neighbor, that jerk across the alley, you know, people that you avoid and the extra foods are overweighty, those guys. Jesus says, I know you've been saying no, not him, not her, never. I'm going to go for the people I think are most likely to respond to you. And Jesus says, I've got something else planned. As you step through the door of opportunities, you become my witnesses. There are going to be people who come to faith in me, who join you in worship. (laughs) And you're going to be blown away by who joins you. That's an amazing promise. I want to take that one to the bank. Jesus promises that our witness will be profoundly effective. That lives unlikely lives will be transformed by the grace of Jesus. But what about us? Will we be safe? Will we be okay? Jesus moves from our question of faith now to our question of faithfulness. Listen to where Jesus goes next. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come in the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Jesus says to the church the same thing he said to others. Troubles are coming. Yep. Sweeping troubles. And we don't know if this hour of trial is mentioned. It represents an increase in local persecution right there in Asia Minor, the province of Turkey, or modern Turkey. Or, Or we don't know if it represents a more widespread economic or political crisis for the Roman Empire. But regardless of what it meant, Jesus says to them that whatever troubles come, I will protect my church. I want you to hear this right. Does protection mean that God's people won't suffer? No. Does it mean that by faithfully witnessing to Jesus, we won't land in a heap of trouble? No, it doesn't. Is Jesus saying he's going to swoop in and prevent any harm from coming to us? No, that is not what he means. What Jesus says is the same thing he said to his church in Smyrna. That whatever troubles come... Is that a fly? I wash my hair today. <clears throat> Whatever troubles come, Jesus says, I'm going to be faithful to you. Trials will come, but I will not abandon you. Jesus says, I'm going to bring you through. I'm going to provide daily strength so you can live faithful to me. I'm going to give you courage as you face persecution to speak about me. I'm going to give you peace that passes your ability to understand so that you can endure the suffering. And I'm going to promise you every step of the way through death and into life that resurrection is coming. I've guaranteed it. 
keeping them from the hour of trial, is Jesus' way of saying that you're not going to suffer any lasting spiritual harm. Whatever happens, He's faithful. He'll see us through. And so Jesus calls them to come through the door, knowing that regardless of what happens, He has got us. And then Jesus caps off his memo to the Philadelphians, just like he's finished every other message, with a promise to the victorious or to the overcomers. And he gives them a picture promise that is beyond, I want to say, beyond the open door. Kind of reaching forward to the time when it's all said and done. Here it is in verse 12. He says, To the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. A little bit of history here. The city of Philadelphia was built on a volcanic fault line. And they were constantly shaken by earthquakes. Both Sardis and Philadelphia had just been leveled 60 years before by the same earthquake. And though they'd been rebuilt, they were always living under this, the, the grip of fear. Many, actually many, many Philadelphians at this point in their history would actually leave the city at night for fear that there would be an earthquake in the middle of the night and the danger of taller buildings and pillars and brick and mortar falling on them. And so they'd come into the city during the day and they'd do their business and they might even come to their homes, get this. But then at night, they'd go off somewhere where it was safer to sleep at night. Imagine what it was like leaving every night the city that is yours, that you belong to. Imagine what it was like to live in that kind of insecurity. Well, so here Jesus promised with their ears. To a group of people that were raised in insecurity, they promised that there'll be pillars in God's temple. And that they'll never leave it. They'll never have to flee. That this temple of God, which is the people of God, not a physical building, it's so solid and so strong that nothing can shake it. This is a promise of security, of safety, of belonging and stability. And to a people that were raised and, and lived at sort of a rhythm of flight and return and flight and return. This is a very meaningful promise. But then Jesus goes on to strengthen it with a promise of belonging. Not only will they be like a pillar, strong and immovable, they'll be claimed as God's own people. That's what this next uh, couple uh, phrases are about with all this naming that goes on. Listen to this. 11, or, yeah, 12 and 13. I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. We see that at the end of Revelation. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's an incredible promise. You know, as you're faithful, as you're victorious, Jesus says, as you walk through the door of witness and opportunity that I placed in front of you, know this, Jesus says, not only will I make your witness effective, transforming your enemies into family. Not only will I keep you safe in my hands, leading you through the struggles and ultimately to the victory of resurrection, you'll find yourself in a place where you truly belong, a place where your presence matters, like a pillar of support. You'll stand as a testimony to God's faithfulness, like an adopted member of a family. You're going to receive a new name, in fact, a few new names that signal in every possible way that you belong. So what is Jesus saying to us as the Erickson Covenant Church? I think we've already got the message, right? I could stop right now, but you know I won't. Jesus is here today. And this is what he's saying to us. 
These are the words of Him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What He opens, no one can shut. And what He shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, Erickson Covenant Church. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus knows that we don't feel strong. Jesus knows that we feel under-resourced. Jesus knows that we feel inadequate and we feel muddled and we feel out of our depth. He knows all that. And yet, Jesus has the audacity to stand in front of us and say, there's a big open door here that I've opened for you. A door of opportunity, a door of witness. It's open so wide, it is so ready. All we have to do is step through it. Jesus has a dream for the people of our valley. A dream that so far outstrips our imagination that we're just going to have to trust that as we follow Him, He will see this vision become a reality. My question for us today is this. Will we move forward in faith, letting Jesus lead us through the door? Or will we flounder in fear? Will we move forward in faith, or will we flounder in fear? I believe that's the question. That's the choice. Let's speak practically. As a church, what does that mean? Well, are we going to let Jesus continue to grow our church? As uncomfortable as that might become. Are we going to become more bold in our witness, in the marketplace, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families? Will we make space in our lives for others? Will we make space in our worship gatherings? However we need to do that, will we make space so that more unchurched families People that are going about their lives not understanding the hope that there is in Jesus. Not understanding the forgiveness that Jesus longs to pour into their lives. Not knowing what it's like for God to live inside them. I'm talking about families that are far away from Jesus. Are we willing to make the space for them as we gather, as we worship, as we follow Jesus? And yeah, that means we're going to have to do something about this physical building, but it means so much more than that. I think it starts with the question of, are we willing to make space in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds for people? Will we give more? Will we pray more? Will we serve? Will we increase the level of our commitment to the Erickson Covenant Church? Will we increase the level of our commitment to see the kingdom of God come? And His will be done in the, in the lives of men and women in our valley. Will we submit to the authority of the One who is holy and true so that we can see kids, boys and girls, transformed by Jesus? Will we move forward in faith? Or will we flounder in fear? Will we shrink back from the door? Will we let our objections derail us? Will we look at our weakness and say, we don't count? Will we let the costs drag us down? Are we going to choose the comforts over the conversions of men and women that God loves? Will we say, Jesus, great vision, but it's too much for us? 
Or are we going to, even if we have to, just grab a hold of Jesus and let him drag us through the door? What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? Well, I want to ask you to respond in three concrete ways today. Three. And I'm going to be so bold today to say, I want every one of you to respond to these three things. <laughs> well, first one. I want you to pray this prayer this week. Jesus, how are you asking me to move forward in faith? Let's make it practical. Jesus, how are you asking me to move forward in faith? What step do I need to take? What steps do I need to take? What in particular are you calling me? Are you asking me to serve in a particular way? Is Jesus asking you to deal with an area of your life that is harming your witness? That if you have finally had the boldness to speak out about Jesus, the people who know what's going on in your life would say, buddy, like, what's with that? You know what I'm saying? Is there an area of your life that Jesus is saying, look, I want to make you a powerful witness, but you've got this this thing around your ankle. You've got this weight on your back. You've got some area of your life that is so clearly out of sync with my will that you can't be an effective witness for me because of that. Let's get it cleaned up. Is Jesus asking you to finally submit your finances to him? Is he asking you to start giving sacrificially to his work, particularly here at the Erickson Covenant Church? I don't know what it is. What kind of steps is he asking you to take? But I want you to identify them. Identify one. Identify two. What are they? Because here's my premise. (laughs) If you're part of this church, he is asking you to take a step. He is asking you to move forward in faith. He is not saying, go ahead and shrink back. That is not. There will be an answer to this prayer, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you. There will be an answer if you pray it. There will be. So what is the answer? What is the step that Jesus is calling you to make so you can move forward in faith, so that we together can move forward in faith? I want you to identify it. I want you to write it down. And if you are so bold, I'm asking you to email it to me. Put it to me in a card. Write it in your hand and take a picture of it with Instagram. I don't care. But somehow convey to me what it is that you think Jesus is asking you to take a step forward in, forward in faith. That's the first thing. But related to that, maybe you're here today and you realize, yeah, when I asked the question, Jesus, how are you asking me to move forward in faith? I realized that I actually have never actually said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Like I've been kind of drifting around. I've been checking things out. But I realized that if I were to ask that question, I kind of know what this step is now. I know that I actually need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. I want to bow my knee. I want to worship you. I want to follow you. And, and Jesus, I want to come to you and I want to, I want to ask you to forgive me. Because I I believe you are who you said you are and I believe you rose again from the dead and I want you to take control of my life. I want you to become the master of my future. I want you to become the forgiver of my sin, the leader of my destiny. I want to follow you. And some of you are here today and you realize that's you. And so I'm going to invite you today. I'm going to hang out here for a couple minutes after the service. And if that's you, your step forward in faith is to walk up here and talk to me. I invite you to come. And talk to me about following Jesus. Well, that's the first thing. Okay, a little bit of a double whammy, but there you go. That's the first one. Pray. How are you? To, how are you asking me to move forward in faith? Second one. I want to ask you to ask Jesus 
to help you identify five people that you will pray for that they will find and follow Jesus. Do you hear that? Five people. Now, maybe a name already popped into your mind as you thought about your ignorant boss. Or maybe the name's already surfaced as you thought about difficult people that you know will never come to find and follow Jesus. (laughs) That's them. Put them on the list. Five people to pray for deliberately from now till Christmas. I'm asking you to make a commitment on that. Five people to pray for between now and Christmas that they would find and follow Jesus. Pray for them daily. Pray for them consistently. Make sure that at least three on the list. Don't fill it up with like, you know, Prime Minister of Canada and, you know, don't do that, okay? Because your likelihood of you being able to influence that is, well, less. So make sure that at least three people on the list are within your sphere of influence. Like, you could actually have a type of engagement with them, okay? But if you want to toss a couple of others in there that you don't have influence over, that's great. Five people, at least three you influence or have, or have, have a possibility of influencing for the kingdom. Got it? Five people. I want you to pray this week about that and write down those names. Post those names. Do it privately if you need to, whatever. But together, just do the math, people. How many people does that represent? I can't do the math. I'm not a math guy. But it's hundreds of people. Hundreds. Thousands. I'm not good at math. It's thousands, right? Okay, it's hundreds. I don't know. But it's a lot of people. We can't actually step through this door and be effective witnesses unless we commit to pray for the people in our lives and in our community. That's that's the second one. The third one is very, very simple. You need to come tomorrow night to the congregational meeting. (laughs) Jesus, who is holy and true and holds the keys of the kingdom, says to you today, come to the congregational meeting. Actually, I'm not kidding. Jesus sees what we don't see. And we have got to come together as a community. We've got to discuss as a community what this open door means for us. Like, what does it mean for our finances? What does it mean for our programs? What does it mean for our staffing? And folks, you're in that. Every single one. Like, people have asked me, is this just for members? No, it's not. It's for everyone who says, Erickson Covenant Church is my home church. Or, you've been around for a while, you're not even sure if it's your home church yet, but you've been around long enough, you need to come. I don't care if you only showed up last week. It's a meeting for everybody. Because we want to talk about what this open door represents, practically speaking, so that we can move forward together as a church through this door of opportunity that Jesus has placed in front of us. And so, tomorrow night, you need to come out. You need to come out and you need to discuss. We're going to pray together. It is a super important meeting. I don't know how to convey that to you any more strongly than that. It's not a boring, dusty business meeting. We're going to, as a community, we're going to talk about this open door. We're going to talk about the fears that are holding us back. And we're going to empower several groups from our community to do some important things as we move forward into what God has for us. Something has to do with leadership. Something has to do with finances. Something has to do with the building and our capacity. It's important that you're there. So I believe every one of you should feel invited by now. No one's going to come to me afterwards and ask if it, if, it, if, it, if, it, if it was meant for them, right? Is anyone still thinking this meeting is not for them? Thank you. Do you have to just be a member, Jesse? 
Oh, I don't have any idea. What time is the meeting? I think it's at 7. Thank you, Jesse. I think it's in your bulletins. 7 o'clock tomorrow night. <coughs> it applies to everyone. Please come. Here it is. I'll wrap it up. Jesus sees the people that you and I can't see. Jesus who holds this door for us. He knows the very women, the very men, the actual and real children, some of them not even born yet, that will come to find and follow Him if we will walk through the open door that He's placed in front of us. He knows them. He sees them. Can we see them? <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that You would give us Your vision. That You would give us eyes to see our neighbors, our friends, our family, even our enemies worshiping You in freedom and in grace. Joining the people of God to raise Your name. Give us eyes to see our co-workers, our schoolmates, our coffee shop friends. Give us eyes to see You coming into their lives and changing them from the inside out. Help us see families, broken families, transformed by Your life. Help us to see with your heart the difference that your grace would make in this valley. A valley that you deeply love. And may we with courage and grace move forward in faith through the open door that you've placed before us. Never looking back, but fixing our eyes on you and on your prize of more and more people finding and following you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. I hope you can stay for coffee. If you uh, are new here today and you want to fill out a welcome card, we've got a great gift bag for you. But I ask that you would go in grace. Remember the three things. Pray, identify, and come. See you tomorrow night.